5 and 10. Your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to the Stanley Cup final episode of 2, 5, and 10. It has happened. The party, I believe, is still on in Vegas. I don't think it's ended since last week. Benny, what up, baby? I don't think anybody's going to top what happened in Boston with Marshan and Sagan uh, and Ferens after they won in 2010. I do remember uh, they put... Uh, they they told they told them to leave. They I remember management <laughs> management had pinned the boys down and said enough is enough. You need to go home now because there there was a little bit of worry at times. I do remember that. There were always that uh, that triple decker bar for like every night Thursday through Sunday. They were just there every week for like three weeks straight. They they did all right. It didn't end, but, but they did all right. Yeah, but yeah, Vegas. They're definitely partying. Marsha show has been on a fucking bender since uh, the final horn. Um, Carlson looks like he's enjoying his time in America for the summer. <laughs> Wild Bill is in one. Oh my god, that speech at the parade was all time. But like the best part was them talking about when he fell down the stairs. And all he did was lift his arms like he was on a roller coaster, just going down the <laughs> flight of stairs. I'm like, that's he's incredible. Like, he's accepting what's about to happen. Yeah, that's just the the boys are in one. Uh, also, another part of this huge celebration that came out, shout out to the owner, because what he ended up doing, Bill Foley, he sent the entire Vegas team and their wives to his ranch in Dare Lodge, Montana, four planes to play golf and celebrate with the cop right after. And his quote about the whole thing was, I didn't allow any shooting, but there were plenty of shots done. Uh, they saw the sun come up and they went out and they played more golf. Like they were just living life. Good, good luck to them. That's awesome. Yeah. And w- winning and having a parade and celebrating in Vegas. I don't think there's any city in America that you can really rip off a week long vendor better than, than Vegas. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you want to talk about options, right? So like when Washington had won the cup there, um, I remember they went to, oh, my God, what's the the nightclub, the Hassanen or whatever the fuck it's called? Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they went there that night, ripped it up. I mean, we saw the Vegas boys out that night. And then the next morning they end up at, um, oh, my God, what's the name of the bar off the strip? not McGillicuddy's, the, the Irish bar there, but McGinty's? I think it's McGinty's. They ended up at McGinty's at 6 in the morning as they're leaving everywhere else to start the party again. That just the, the, the boys were going, and hey, I don't blame them. And now, speaking of the Stanley Cup and everything else, I mean, we know of all the parties and everything, but I remember a couple of years back, there was a very big thing, I mean, Who's going one? Who's going two? Connor McDavid or Jack Eichel? But holy shit, boy, Jack Eichel had himself a playoffs. Yeah, and I think, I mean, he really changed the story around who he is as a player and also the type of teammate he is just because of his exit out of Buffalo. And when he first got to Vegas, a lot of the things that he said initially once he got there. Um, so he turned his reputation down around a little bit. The other thing is, if you're a player in this league, 
you do owe him a very, very big thank you because he has now cleared the way for you to reject the medical advice of the team you are assigned to and go out and do it on your own. Yeah, and get traded to a way better situation. <laughs> like, if he if he went to Vegas after the trade and after his basically experimental neck surgery and flopped or got hurt again and hurt his neck and was out and then wasn't cleared to play again, that would be the end of it for all time. So now there are going to be players who, you know, the doctor might – it's not going to be every injury, obviously, because they're just – set ways of rehabilitating injuries. But if there's like a injury that's prolonged or nagging where they tried something else and it's not working, the player now has the ability to go, listen, I'm going to try this and see what happens. And especially if you are a top tier talent, the organization is not going to say, no, you can't, you have to live in pain. Like if I was a player, but like, fuck it, I'd rather be pain free and released than be in pain and stay on under contract with you guys. Yeah, I'll, I'll worry about everything else after. Yep. Yeah. So that's another thing that Eichel did there. Uh, that's more league-wide more than him. But he definitely, before the playoffs started, it's like, I don't know what Eichel's going to do in the playoffs. Uh, he's never struck me as the type of guy that's going to really turn it on once the game's got uh, really competitive and you start making a run into the second round conference final and all that but yeah he, he's a dog so <laughs> uh, the other thing with vegas winning a cup is their goaltending situation where aiden hill is a free agent he could cash in if he wanted to after the run he just had but it sounds like he doesn't want to like obviously he knows he's going to get a pretty significant raise from what he made this past season but I think he just enjoys the situation in Vegas. And also he knows, like, the grass isn't always greener getting a few extra million dollars more and then not being able to play because the team in front of you isn't as good and the system doesn't work as well for you. Agreed. I saw another interesting thing, too, specifically about uh, San Jose and relating to Aiden Hill, where previously San Jose thought they were in a good spot um, years ago and they traded away their third string goaltender, that third string goaltender that they traded away in conference, well, in division all those years ago to Calgary was Mika Kiprasov. And now here we have Aiden Hill here, who magically was a third string goalie who goes on and wins a Stanley cup. It's like, is San Jose's um, goalie, evaluation good or I mean, are they just uh, like it's like funny when you like hear two massive names like that you're like wow just yeah crazy I mean, wasn't marty beer on there before he went to buffalo and really kind of went on his mini run there for three or four years uh be i don't remember and then the other one wasn't jaguar in san jose before anaheim mm, or am i thinking of the wrong goaltender that's a good like question Jaguar i don't know was traded to anaheim and then Anaheim went on their cup run i'm not too sure on that let me look it up here jsg yeah 
Yeah, he played. He played. He was drafted by the Whalers. Then he was traded to the Flames along with Andrew Castles. Remember that dude? Yeah. In exchange for Gary Roberts and Trevor Kidd. Um, Trevor Kidd, wow. And then he was traded to Anaheim from Calgary for a second round pick, later traded to the Capitals, who then used it to select Matt Pettinger. And then he stayed with Anaheim all the way through until he went to basically wrapped up his career as a 1A backup with Toronto and Colorado. So I I don't know who I'm thinking of then with San Jose with the goaltender. Nabokov? Nabokov was there for a while, yeah. Yeah, okay. Either way, yeah, your point stands of even though there's just some organizations where the names in the front office can change, but they just make the same mistake no matter who is there. <clears throat> Toronto. Um, <laughs> so. Now, one other random question for you. you brought up the goaltending in Vegas. So we have, as of right now, the only goalie under contract next year that is playing is Logan Thompson. Uh, Lauren Brassard, Aiden Hill, and Jonathan Quick, all UFA, and then Robin Leonard is still on LTIR, and they don't know what's going to happen with him. Yeah, what's has there been any word about procedures or recovery with him? I think when you just win the cup, you kind of just throw that out, and you probably say, hey, big boy, if you need some more LTIR, got you. <laughs> yeah, I was just curious. And then the whole being sued and bankruptcy thing and all that other shit, so... Um, and then for quick, if I'm quick, I retire. Like, oh, absolutely, go out on top. Go out on top. It's your third Stanley Cup. Um, uh, you don't want to be that journeyman back of goaltender now. Like, you play for Team USA. You're not young enough where you're like, hey, I can still, if I get healthy, I can turn this around and go for like another two, three, four years. Just hang it up. Like, end out on a good note. And then one other random tidbit just throwing out there if, you know, you're worried about a Stanley Cup hangover, which they will definitely be hungover. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I mean, Stanley Cup hangover for next year, I don't know. But um, just going into the season before uh, any trades or free agency, their whole decor is coming back. Yeah. All under contract. Pretty good. Yeah, so how much cap space do they have now with everybody that's under contract? Uh, let me go up to the top of cap friendly here. Come on, baby. Keep going. Keep going. So as of right now, it says their cap space with LTIR candidates is just under 8.5. Okay, so 8.5, and they need to basically sign a goaltender and then still fill out their forward group. Yeah, so... Currently, UFAs on the team, Ivan Barbashev, Teddy Bluger, Phil Kessel, and then Brett Howden and Pavel Dorofeyev, both RFAs. Yeah, Howden will get a little bump. You know, another another success story of Rangers forward development, Brett Howden. Got rid of him for basically nothing. You're the best. He did shit with him. Around. <laughs> then he goes off to Vegas and he plays a top six role in a Stanley Cup winner. Yeah, real fucking good job here, boys. And, you know, the whole thing with Lafreniere, Kako, and Hedl really looking good, too. Now, one um, other thing, just going off of, you know, lineup and looking at it. 
beginning of this year, start of the season for their cap crunch and everything that was going on. I mean, they trade away Max Pacioretty. They, they get him off the books, which is a huge uh, bump for them. And then there was the talks of it had to be either Carlson or Marsha show that was going to get traded. And here we are. Jonathan Marsha show with a consmite win. Eh? Yeah. I mean, talk about all time fuck up by Florida with that expansion draft. I mean, it had to be sweet for him to win that against them, though. Yeah, like, they were setting themselves up nicely. They get Marsha Show for basically nothing. And he puts for Riley up, Smith. <laughs> yeah, puts up like a 30-goal season with the Panthers. And then when the expansion draft comes, they protect Bustad over Marsha Show, knowing that Marsha Show is going to get picked, and they lose him for nothing. And now look at him. So they could have had Marsha Show on their side because they would have signed him long-term. But all time, like the way Vegas handled that expansion draft is probably a top five league changing event. event yeah. For like the next 20 years. I agree. So, like, ridiculous looking back on it now, where it's like, how the fuck did these GMs get reamed like this? So. George McPhee, baby. He, that that <laughs> man, he, he did very well. Did, and did he win the cup with Washington, or was he let go by then? I thought McPhee was already in Vegas. I thought he was the first GM there. Yeah, so that's what I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, that's true. So he was let go. So it's good to see him after all of his battles with the Rangers getting knocked down for a second round, not getting over the hump to finally get a ring on his finger as a GM. And, and also... He's not GM, Kelly McCrimmon. Sorry. Yeah, he, he's now president. But yeah, no, he was the GM when he first went there. And, I mean, now that we're on the talk of bittersweet and looking like fools, the Boston Bruins... Let go of Bruce Cassidy and in year one with the Vegas Golden Knights lifts the Stanley Cup. Uh, Brucey, hats off to you, bud. Um, great season. I I do think in the NHL at times you, you hit points where uh, voices kind of, they don't get through the boys anymore, but I don't think that was against Bruce's coaching. I mean, for, from what I was told within the actual sport of the game one of the best x's and o's coaches out there i, I think maybe his voice had just kind of hit its thing but yeah. he goes into a vegas locker room with veteran leadership guys who have been around there and then a guy who gets it right to start that game five setting the tone he starts the misfits every one of them that got that have been there since the beginning i mean if that didn't tell you they were going to win the game and i mean the route was on early yeah. The boys were ready. The other thing with Cassidy, which has come out, and again, this can all be like saving face, uh, like source planting, but when Cassidy was fired by Boston, Jury wanted to hire him, but Dolan overruled him because Galanch just took the Rangers to the conference final. And he's like, just bring this team back. Like, why would you change coaches? And Jury wanted Cassidy and was overruled. So they brought Gallant back because Dolan was afraid of the blowback if they got rid of Gallant after that run and then bring in a new coach and you don't make it any further. Hey, um, 
I I have the audio recorded if you ever need me to play it back for you. Do you remember that time when you were saying that you don't know what it is and Bruce Cassidy is not an elite coach in this league? I just I just want to hear it back. Oh, I, I didn't say he was wasn't an elite coach. I consider elite to be John Cooper, Joel Quinville level. I just said how much of the success in Boston can be attributed to the guys in Boston who have been there since 06 and winning every year versus it has to do with Bruce. All right, well, I mean, look at this Vegas team. It was stacked, dude. I mean, he didn't, really didn't have to do much. He just had oh, to be a, he was a mascot. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm, I never said he was a shit coach. I just said it's like if when uh, if Belichick left the Patriots and went somewhere else, it's like, uh, okay, is it Belichick or is it the Tom Brady? And Tom Brady was the one that left first and won a Super Bowl, and Belichick hasn't done jack shit. So now That's what I was getting at. I don't know what what's true and what's not. You, you hear the rumor mill go around, but um, allegedly there was quotations around it, which makes me feel it was true. They had asked um, the owner in Vegas about hiring Bruce, yeah. and he said he made Mark Stone call Patrice Bergeron. And when he asked Bergeron about Cassidy, Bergeron's response to him was, "If you hire Bruce, you win the Stanley Cup next year." And sure as shit. So not only is Patrice the king, he's also a fortune teller. So, I mean, I'm just saying. He's also a better coaching analyst than your boy, huh? <laughs> he's a good, good judge of character, that's all. Um, and on the flip side, Florida, you know, they go on another run. They, they lose in five, but they finally get their first ever Stanley Cup final win. Uh, that one game because they got swept in a final in 96. For Florida, I know the storyline is the Kachuk injury and the long layoff. Oh, so the long layoff killed them. Killed them. I don't think it it killed Bobrovsky. Like, I don't think the other guys, like maybe game one, but as somebody who's never played goal and has always been a skater, I feel like even after a long layoff, halfway through the second, maybe even – after one game, you have your legs back under you, you're ready to go. For goaltending, I feel like it's such a rhythm and mental thing that I feel like Bobrovsky just never found it again. I think that was part of it. I think the other thing is when you heard about all the injuries they were playing with, I think when you're running on a momentum high yeah. as to you're playing every other day, you're going and... The adrenaline. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like The injuries are injuries. But when your body doesn't have a chance to really think about it and react, I think you're in a good spot. You have 10 days off. You're stiff. Like, I I just think that uh, just one of those things as to it might have bit them a little bit. Yeah, and the two more most notable injuries that were announced was Kachuk uh, had a broken sternum from that hit by uh, Keegan Colazar. Finished the rest of that game really... Didn't play every shift, obviously. Played game four. Almost tied it late. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again. And in game four, too, I mean, that was the one where uh, we were texting back and forth. And, and it was very visible there was something wrong. There, there was no yeah, question was there. Playing, there was no bite. There was no – he wasn't hitting. He was playing on a four check along the board battles. He was using one hand on his stick. So I thought it was like a collarbone or a shoulder issue because he got his shoulder on shoulder, but broken sternum. 
they said that uh, Brady had to help him out of bed and get dressed. And then the guys in the room had to put on his equipment for him because he couldn't do it. Yeah, they said they were putting on his skates and his jersey for him. Just couldn't move kind of there. I mean, obviously, he doesn't end up playing in the game five. And at what point do you want to say, like, you know, obviously balls as big as the building tend to even play in game four. But on the other end, I think he realized as to, at that point, he he did almost tie it. But for the whole majority of that game, I mean, wasn't even a distraction just with how he was just kind of you're like, this guy can't even put his other hand on the stick. Like it just seemed uh, a little bit difficult for him. And then even after at the end of game four, he still tries to, he's throwing jabs and starting to scrum with Petrangelo. (laughs) And I am completely surprised. And I mean this because it's the Stanley cup. We saw what Petrangelo had already done this year with the high stick from God that he ended up giving to dry and um, you'd think he would take more advantage of Kachuk there. Just, you know, Kachuk's trying to start a scrum. You'd think he would be there. And, and you know, just, hey, pull him in. You know you you can land any punch on him that you want. And, you know, I know there's gamesmanship and everything else, but I got to be honest, man. If it's between me and you and we're going for a cup, um, <laughs> we, you're probably going to eat a couple, even if you can't defend yourself. Like, Sorry, that, that's why they pay the linesman the big bucks. I mean, I think the only saving grace is that they train together in the summer. So I think for his sake. Time, yeah, the only saving grace for Kachuk was Petrangelo was like, it was almost like, a, dude, come on, man, seriously? Because he had to know he was hurt bad, and he's starting shit, and he's like, dude, come on. like. <laughs> um, and then the other injury for Florida, I'm sure pretty much everybody was playing hurt. But the other notable one was Ekblad, who I was constantly shitting on throughout yes. the playoff run. Uh, what was it? It was Two broken double foot. Leg, double leg amputation, heart transplant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a, a, a broken foot in the Boston series that he's played with, a torn oblique, and then he dislocated each shoulder as well. Yeah, so nothing major. <laughs> I mean, doable, right? I mean, yeah. do they get workman's comp, or how does that work? So, yeah, so obviously he was gutting it out. I mean, it was just, it was more of a sheer level of disappointment. I'm like, dude, you're so unimpactful on the ice. And Montour, if it wasn't for Montour and the run that he had in the first two rounds, he wouldn't have even made it to the conference final because he was covering for Ekblad's subpar play. But... At least now there's an excuse, and now it's not a reputational thing of, like, Ekblad disappeared. It was Ekblad was walking wounded. The other guy who was kind of disappointing offensively because he was still making a huge impact in a dot and on uh, defense, Barkov offensively almost did nothing. There was nothing there. Agreed. That's another guy where it's just like, dude, like, you got to step up here. So... They're, they already had a, and again, it's not anything official, but there was a article I read uh, from one of the guys in Florida about what does the offseason look like for the Panthers, and it was obviously everybody's got to get their treatment, get healthy, 
The second thing was, do you try and trade Bobrovsky now and eat half his cap so you don't have to buy him out after the run that he had? Like, look, he's still capable and get out of that contract. And the third thing was, this rider, and to me, this just shows the lack of... Like, I need to look up if he ever played the game. But, like, the lack of understanding of what this would do to the room. But he, his suggestion for a big move to get them over to the hump was to trade for Eric Carlson and then, huh? trade, Mont- and then trade Montour. And I'm like, I'm, if you trade a Montour, they, they would fucking riot in the locker room. I, I was going to say, I mean, if I'm seeing Jose, I make that every day, twice on Sunday. Just oh, send not, it. Not Montour for Carlson. Yeah. Just, Mator traded for like a first round pick. I'm like, if you trade, basically your best defenseman from last year, 73 points. He carried you in the first two rounds. Two way defenseman. And I know he's going to be UFA at the end of next year, I think. But if you trade him for futures when you're trying to make a cup run here, like, holy shit, what a revolt. Yeah, but you know what? On the other end, hey reevaluate next year when you're getting close to the deadline. And if shit's yeah. not working, like, hey, if you can cash in, absolutely. But to make that move right now, yeah, that's a lot. And I mean, <laughs> like, that, that that's even too much for me. And I know I come up with some crazy shit, but that, that's yeah. a little too much. I think Florida, like, they're set up pretty well. Like, their forward group, I know Kachuk is the franchise. Barkov is a very good, he's not elite. He's just a tad below for number one center. But the rest of their forward group, especially with the top nine, I like. I like Reinhardt. I like Bennett. I like Verhage. Like, I don't see a situation where Florida needs to, like, blow things up. Because even before the season, you and I thought that they were one of the best teams in the East. So it's not yeah. like this was, like, a basement team that got in as an eight seed and went on a surprise run. It's This is a good team. <laughs> And goals, I think, they got to figure out lines and uh, and uh, they got to figure out that they got to figure out Spencer Knight, who I mean, yeah. took two steps back this year. Yeah, um, and then he went into the program. Yeah, so the, they they have to figure out a whole bunch of shit on their end. It's really just goaltending. Like, c- can you get out of Bobrovsky's contract even by eating half? And then if you do, can you rely on Alex Lines and Spencer Knight to be your one and two? I think if you can get out of that deal, you have to make that move for the long term of the franchise. But if you get out of that deal, I think Spencer Knight, anything you get from him next year is gravy. Yeah, that's true. You would need to bring in somebody to compete with Lions because he's not a proven number one either. So then you're dipping your toes into that goalie market. Yeah, and going from there. Yeah. So... But yeah, so that's a wrap on the 2022-23 season. Ended exactly like we thought it would. <laughs> yeah, just the way we predicted. Yeah, and, ju- and exactly how we predicted right before the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so we got a summer ahead of us. Uh, next episode, you and I will go into a kind of a off-season setting, the foundation of who are the top free agents at each uh, position group. Uh, maybe we'll get into where we think they might sign. We'll get into trade candidates, guys like Debrinkit, um, who I, I'm calling it now. Debrinkit goes to Carolina. That's my call. 
Okay. Um, they need a goal scorer, so they'll make they'll move mountains to get that shit done. And they'll still run it back with Ranta and Anderson and lose in the second round again. It's like, I don't know what's the problem here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll get into that. Um, we'll review the draft if any surprises or big trades. Draft weekend is usually when the first dominoes start to fall before July 1st. Free agency, free agency for GMs to kind of start. Did you just say free agency, not free agency? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I got that yellow fever. <laughs> you know, it's always on my mind, Kev. You know, this, you know, I love it. <laughs> uh, so we'll get out to all that. But first, uh, so the other big thing, just to go over the Rangers hiring LaViolette. Um, I know last episode I was basically having a panic attack about them hiring Heinz. <laughs> um I heard there's great Asian food in Flushing. I think Laviolette's going to love it there. Yes, you can get whatever you want. Shishan cuisine, uh, sushi, hot duck, whatever. Fresh duck, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Literally fresh duck. The feather's still falling off the the skin. Um, But yeah, so Laviolette comes to the Rangers. Not my first choice, but if they weren't going to interview Wa, they weren't going to make a move for Quenneville. He's the best of the bunch that was available. That wasn't like a rookie that you're going to take a risk on. Um, so he had his introductory press conference today, said all the right things, spoke about playing hard and grit and being fast on the forecheck and all this other shit. But really it's going to be all about the, it's not a talent issue with the Rangers. It's a mindset issue and a adjustment issue. And that was the question with Gallant was the coaching side of it. Laviolette is not going to get outcoached by many guys in his league. Say what you want about Laviolette, but he's a pretty top-tier XO's uh, guy behind the bench. And he just brings a little bit more bite to the locker room. And he's definitely not a Tortorella. He's not a Mike Keenan or anything else like that. But after Gallant was let go and right before Laviolette was hired, there were two stories that came out that just kind of give a glimpse into how Gallant interacted with the roster and then handled the room. The first thing was when Truba was named captain, Gallant never called him before the press conference. What? Really? Yeah. At the press conference, he was like, congratulate. Like, he was very nice about it, but the thought of calling never happened, never occurred to him. The second thing was um, a player, and again, it's an unnamed player. His wife had a medical issue, and he had to leave practice early. And Gallant never checked in with him when he came back the next day about, like, hey, how's everything going? Just, like, nothing happened. See, I find that so fucking strange on the other end because, like, they say how much of a player's coach he is. But then you don't even check in with the guys knowing, like, his wife had an issue. Like, like that's just weird. What? So you're a player's coach behind the bench, but on a personal level, it's like, oh, well, the guys are guys. Well, I think player's coach for Gallant means I'm not going to ride them, and I'll let them please themselves in the room. Because apparently he never really went into the, to the locker room and went to the guys and ripped them. He never called, like, meetings like that. It was always... 
well, this is a veteran group. They know they know what, how to handle it. They know the room. And he was very hands-off in the locker room. That's player's coach for him. See, like, A, you're not going to get that with Laviolette. There, there's a great no. clip <laughs> of uh, him on the 24-7 when Philly and the Rangers played, and he was coaching the Flyers. And uh, I forget what they were playing, but, but they come into the room, and they're 2-0 down after the first, and he gives it to them. And I mean, this is when Scott Hartnell's on the team and he's, you know, what the fuck was that? You know, we talked about, you know, Boston kind of snuck up on us on the schedule right before that game. We're past it. Now look where we are now. Just a casual now what's the fuck. fuck yeah. Excuse? Now what's the fucking excuse? casual as casual as a casual can fucking get like going crazy. And I mean, I like that. You, you got to get a response from your guys. And if yeah. that's what it takes to, for something. And I mean. You need to know who to pick on in the sense of who's going to get a response. And he's calling out Scott Hartnell there. And he tells everybody else, you're going to earn your ice time shift by shift. And if you're not moving, you're not playing. That that That's it. Dead in the water. And I don't think you need to quote unquote threaten professionals in that sense. But on the other end of it, I mean. It just sets the tone. Sets precedent, sets the tone. And at least now you know what you're getting because, hey, if you come out and you have a shit first shift, hey, enjoy it. 20 minutes behind here. It's a long time. I hope you like coaching because <laughs> this is what I do, pal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was the problem with the Rangers, especially last year, where you remember the game of Truba against the Blackhawks at the Garden where he had that big hit on Anthem CU. He had the yep. fight, and he threw his helmet, and he was like, let's fucking go. This team doesn't have – Outside of basically Truba, to be honest, guys in a room that are, I'm going to, fuck this, I'm taking over. Yeah, guys like. I can take over with talent, but not personality-wise. Kreider, for as strong of a player as he is, he's very shy. So he's not going to be that, like, let's fucking go. Panarin's not going to do that. Meek is not going to do that. And then you're down to Truba. As far as the leadership group, I know Goodrow's there, but you need, you can't have that type of team makeup and a hands-off coach. It's got to be one or the other. You can either have a hands-off coach in a group like Tampa Bay, or you can have a group like the Rangers where you need a guy in a room who's going to really kind of manage things. So I think that'll be an improvement there too. Uh, the other thing that LaViolette was asked about was the young guys. And he said, you know, I think there is a, an opportunity here where I, I'm not going to give them a spot in the top six. And I'm not going to give them power play time. But you have to give them the ability to earn a spot in the top six in the power play. And that wasn't given to these guys the last two years. And I, that was like as much of a direct shot at Galante as you'll get. It's meant to sting sometimes. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, it can't be more disappointing than last year. I mean, unless they missed the playoffs. But I think with the way this team is built and how talented the roster is, and you have a goaltender like Shesterkin, I think they can almost sleepwalk into a playoff spot, even if it's an eight seed. Um, so I think they're fine there. It's really about all about once you get to the playoffs – 
they there's even talk of if the Rangers get knocked down in the first round again, they'll just fire Laviolette. Like they're they're not looking for first round moral victories. They're looking for Stanley Cup appearance and a Stanley Cup win. Anything short of that, they they might clean house with Laviolette and Jury apparently. So a lot of pressure uh, to get this done this year. Um, the other thing with the Rangers really quick is the cap crunch that they're going to be under. And we'll get into this more in our summer kind of preview episode, but they have $11 million under the cap and they need to sign Lafreniere, Keandre Miller. They just gave the extension to uh, Philip Hedl. They need to get it back with goaltender. Maybe Halak comes back cheap. Uh, I'm sure he doesn't want to keep bouncing around at this point in his career. Um, they need a sixth defenseman and a seventh defenseman. I do not want Ben Harper as my seventh. He is fine for an eight, and you call him up, and you can plug him in every once in a while, but he's not a seven. And then you still got to figure out, all right, well, who's playing in the top six? Who's moving over the right wing or bumping down to the third line if you want to give Lafreniere a spot in the top six? So we'll see kind of how things shake up. I think with the coaching change, and kind of with the staleness around the team, I do envision a unexpected trade of somebody off this roster this summer to try and shake things up and kind of wake everybody to fuck up. I don't know who it will be, but I, that's, it's just a vibe that I'm getting where jury's going to make like that one move, like let's fucking go. Like here's a, here's a shot across the bow that everybody else in that fucking locker room. Taking, taking the cack daddy. Yeah. Well, I don't know. But the other thing is there was a photo of Panarin that I don't know if you saw on Instagram. He shaved his head. Oh, I did not see that. Interesting. Okay. So he's back in Russia. Oh, so he ain't coming back. They won't let him. All right. So So does that fall under LTIR when they just don't let him back into the country? (laughs) Or how does that work? So the weird thing is, so he hasn't really posted. I mean, he's not like an avid social media user, but he does post every few weeks he hasn't posted he's gone back to russia he shaved his head and in a one photo he was po- he they posted of him it was with like he didn't even post it it was the person that was taking the photo with him that posted it and it's a photo of panarin and he's shaved head clean shaven and he's wearing like moccasins uh the uh adjustable waist pants so like no belt or buttons or anything and just like a t-shirt and i'm like who i was like i've never seen panera like this so i'm hoping it's this what it's going to be one of two things and i'm hoping it's the first one he's just rededicating himself and be like fuck it like he's just changing everything it's just like kind of changes mood and vibe around what happened last season I'm hoping it's not that he's like fucking under house arrest and they shaved his head and he's and they took like belts and shit away from him. <laughs> I'm just wondering the, the way that it works at times. It, it's a little questionable. It, it seems a little crazy. I mean, was he just sick of being called Jack Harlow? So he just went for the complete change <laughs> and that was it? Or I just, I don't know. I, hey, listen, if he comes to camp and he's still. Uh, clean shaven and bald and he puts up a 90 point season and he actually, you know, shows up in the playoffs and it's not on, uh, in a press box. Like he was the last two playoff runs. Uh, I don't care what he does. 
I don't care if he makes out with Jack Harlow. <laughs> Maybe he just needs a little um a, a little rejuvenation of religion. Maybe a little Russian Orthodox is bringing him back in. You know, that's what I feel. If it almost comes across like he's like that's the old. It's like a clean break. Like that's old feelings and vibes and bad like juju and now just like starting fresh. That's I mean, kind of the impression I'm getting. Most people here just use sage, but that that's fine. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about really quick is tomorrow the 2023 Hockey Hall of Fame class gets announced. And I don't know if you've spent – I know you've – like I said before we started recording, you've had so much time in your hands to do anything. To do nothing but look at the Hockey Hall of Fame class. Just been twiddling my thumbs, you know me. <laughs> but – uh, you know, there, I've read the athletic ESPN, a few like other blogs around who would I vote for or who should be voted in. And the only two names that I consistently see are Milgilney, which I don't understand how he hasn't been in for a decade mm-hmm. and Lundquist on the first ballot. But to me, I'm looking at the eligible players and everything else. There's three other guys that I think should be inducted, and I want to get your take on if you're like, nah, because I don't want the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's already kind of went down that path. But it did go down that, that. Yeah, I hate the Hall of Very Good. Like it should be, if you're telling the history of the NHL, you can't tell the history without mentioning this player's name. Not oh, we had a good few years uh, in the '90s, and that's it. Yeah, a little different. Yep. Yeah. So for me, I got Milgilney and Lundquist, obviously, my two on the ballot. I have Curtis Joseph. Cujo. All right. Yeah, 450 wins. Like, when I think of the 90s and early 2000s and whenever the playoffs and the NHL and ESPN theme, I think of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Cujo's blue and silver mask. Like, for me, it just stands out as like from that generation, let's say 96 to 05, Cujo is the third or fourth best goaltender from that time. Like, obviously, you have Wah, Brodor, and then I put Belfour, and then I put Cujo. No Hashik? You're going to beat me up. I think Hashik is so fucking overrated, dude. Is it because he played in Buffalo? Just no matter what, that's one of those. <laughs> one of those you can never get past. Like, no, nah, I can never allow that. Like, I know the Stanley Cups and the wins and everything else. I, it's not his talent that. Bought, I just never gelled with his playing style. Like, I hate goaltenders that are always fucking flopping around and flopping not, around, kicking his feet, throwing his not stick, holding, not holding the posts. Like, it bothers the shit out of me. That's why fundamental, like, uh, Lundquist was right up my alley, and I was like, holy shit, I love this guy. <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, Hashik's top five, but I like Kujo over him for from for those years only. Not saying like career. But my point is, Cujo should be an Hall of Fame. I think he's a Hall of Famer. I do not think Mike Vernon is a Hall of Famer. Or no, Mike. No, Ozzy was great. He's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah. The next guy I have on my list, Keith Kachuk. 
Oh, Keith deserves to be in there. I mean, it, we get to the point now of certain stipulations or regulations, whatever the fuck you want to call it, and pretty close to the top American goal scorer, and, and I mean, kept America I relevant know. with, I mean, kept America relevant in all the tournaments. I mean, w- when USA beat Canada in the World Cup of Hockey, Keith was a vital part of that. Keith was the one who said, we're fighting them first shift, and he goes at it with Claude Lemieux, like, yeah, setting a tone, that, like... Canada, whereas Kachuk in there, Lemieux in there, Stevens in there, um, I forget the other guy on Team USA, but if they were like, oh, Bill Guerin. And Bill like, Guerin, Doc, yeah. Doc Emmerich's favorite, famous call of Guerin and Stevens, teammates in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, Kachuk, 500 goals, like, I think when you talk about Olymp- uh, international competition, World Cups. The guy dropped 50 goals a year for a time there in peak trap era hockey. So, and he was just probably the best power forward, second best power forward during that era. So, and I think the other thing with him that doesn't go towards the Hall of Fame, but just for an internal part of it, they said nobody around the, the whole league or across the board, no one treated A, the guys better, B, the trainers better. And like the stories never end with him. They said <laughs> when the, they got the Marriott across from the Bridgestone Center down there in fucking Nashville, they said one time he ends up locked outside of his hotel room and he's ass naked. And <laughs> they have the elevator there that's right in the middle of the whole hotel that's all glass wide open and here comes keith with the newspaper <laughs> on the front and a newspaper on the back saying i got locked out of my room <laughs> like it's down at the front like desk six, five, 240. <laughs> oh yeah like just a moose and i mean not to mention too uh you know product them all the catholic high school uh appreciate you building the, the uh hockey locker room for us there big walt appreciate you big boy and um it just seemed to be, no matter what, just a genuine and still to this day great guy. And one thing you know about hockey players, then and now, they always enjoy having one or two. And I mean, Big Walt's living. You know, you've seen he him in Vegas. Like he had two or forty. Oh yeah, <laughs> but hey, I mean, good for him. He never had that question of when he was playing if he showed up in shape or not. So you know oh, what? Yeah. If he put it on now, good for him. Earned it. it. Oh yeah, and I mean. Tough as nails, too. He'd fucking fight anybody. That was the thing. Like, when we were growing up, Keith Kachuk was, like, the monster that you didn't want to deal with, like, from the from the playing days. Whenever the Rangers played uh, the Blues or whoever, like, I know he bounced around towards the end of his career, but especially with the Blues, it was like, holy shit, he has Kachuk. <laughs> yeah. So I think he needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Now, I'm not saying 500 goals is a guarantee – like, I don't think Pierre Turgeon's a Hall of Famer. I don't think Pat Verbeek is a Hall of Famer. They got no. the 500 goals. Good they names, just, but not Hall of Famers. Good players. Mm-hmm. The last name I have here, and I know he's get. There was already a little bit of debate about if he was Hall of Fame worthy or not before it came out that he, he people think he's a fucking asshole. But Jeremy Roenick. You know, I don't care if people think I'm an asshole or not. I, I think you have to go with... The numbers. He's another guy, I, 500 goals. I think one of the better two-way centers in the league for a long time. 
Mm-hmm. And I met Jr. I thought he was a nice guy. I mean, they're going after the the well, the Chicklets interview with the, about tapping, which oh yeah, one comment in his entire career, and that fucks him. Yeah, I, I don't agree with that either. So I think Vronick is a Hall of Famer, and again, another American-born player with the World Cups and the Olympics. Where I don't think you can tell the history of American hockey without Kachuk and Vronick being large. Yes, yeah, side by side. No, I agree. So I think he's a Hall of Famer there, too. Everybody else that's currently eligible, good careers, very good players, not Hall of Famers. But I think, unfortunately, Ronick's not going to get voted in again this year. I don't think Kujo's going to get in, and I don't think Kachuk's going to get in. And I just don't understand, especially with like a guy like Mogilny probably just getting in now. Like, who's voting? Like, who votes for this shit? Like, how do you not get these guys in there? Well, the McGinley one has has been one of those awkward things of him defecting, and then they didn't want to put him in, and it's like him defecting strengthened your sport and and made the future of everybody else coming over here that much easier. Like I, I, I just never understood games played either. I don't know that worked against them, but like, holy shit, talk about force when you did play. It's like the uh, Pavel Bore and Eric Lindros scenario of. Yeah, they didn't play at 2,000 career games, but they changed the sport. I was going to say, I mean, you never saw A previously in Eric Lindros, but then the other part was you never saw what Lindros had where when Quebec drafted him, he said, I'm not playing there. You know, (laughs) hockey, hockey never really had something like that before, and they're going, what did he say? Yeah, he said he's not going. How selfish. Yeah, they're going. Oh God! But like, where do we go now? You know, it's just one of those things that they had never really previously run into, and then all that happens, and it's a different world. I will say, luckily, the arbitrator in that whole fiasco with the Nordiques, the Flyers, and the Rangers ruled in favor of the Flyers because the Rangers would still be no cups since 1940 if they made that trade. They would have traded Richter and Kovalov as part of that trade, and they would have never won a cup that year. It's crazy to think, too, just the other way of it, that um, at least... (laughs) No, uh, you think about the other side of it, where you're like, Eric Lindros required, or was going to need that much of a haul to go to your team. Like, like complete groundbreaking. And don't get me wrong, I know we have some players here today that deserve that kind of, you know, clout. But previously to Eric Lindros, I mean, there was some players that you would make trades for, but it was never to that extent or extreme. Yep. And now it is limitations because of the cap where it's like, if Connor McDavid was on a trading block now, every team wants him, but there'd probably be only like four teams that can afford him and give up what Edmonton wants in return. Well, that's what it is. It's like, okay, so you want four first-round picks plus three roster players plus <laughs> plus, and yeah, can can you fit it? Probably not, no. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I just wanted to get that Hall of Fame talk in um, just because it's being announced tomorrow. But other than that, I think our next episode that we record is going to be our big – we have like four big episodes a year. We have the summer preview. We have the regular season preview. We had the playoff preview and then the cup preview. Um, and I think those are our big ones. So the first one, officially, 
of 2023-24 will be the next one we do for the offseason kind of deep dive. I'm excited. I mean, I think going into this offseason compared to other ones, there's a lot of uncertainty uh, revolving around UFAs. It seems like a lot of people now are trying to trade them away or their rights away prior to the draft. I know we've seen it once or twice, but it seems like right now it's a very hot topic with a lot of guys. I was reading right before we came on. I mean, Lucic, they're trying to sell his rights for negotiation to another team right now. And I'm like, interesting. I mean, didn't know where the big fellow would go or end up, but now it's definitely he's on the move somewhere. or Someone's going to at least get the chance to talk to him before he hits free agency. Yeah, and they still haven't announced the cap. Like, I know they keep hinting it. It's only going to be a mill. It's only going to be a mill. But they, then Daly says, it could be four. We haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, maybe so that's going to be a... Maybe that's going to be their surprise at the draft. They'll finally figure out exactly what it is. Dude, if they raise it by four, holy shit, does that help my boys out? <laughs> Hoping for the best, my friend. You have to. We can, we can keep everybody and still add to it instead of having to like sell off the group or spare parts and bury guys in a minor. So. We'll see. We'll, we'll see where we end up. Yeah. Any hockey talk shout outs? Hockey talk, uh, just one interesting tidbit the other day. Uh, the Bruins, before doing anything, have re signed AHL goaltender uh, Keith Boosie. I'm sorry, Brandon Boosie, which makes me think that if that is their first level of business that they're trying to. I don't want to say attain or get rid of, but if that is level one, I'm guessing that with that, you're either going to see Swayman or Olmark go. That That's my prediction. You have to trade Olmark. I mean, if, it, if, you're, if you're trading one of them, it has to be Olmark. The, the highest return you'll ever get is right now when you are in a cap purgatory where you need as much relief as possible. I agree. I think right now is the year if you're going to do it. Yeah, and he's not old, but Swayman's a couple years younger, right? Yeah, and I think Swayman, at least right now, too, has um, a lot more cap flexibility with us as well. Yeah, came off, he's RFA, so we kind of have him where we want him, in essence. There's going to be a lot of goalie movement this offseason. You have Connor Hellebuck, who's basically not returning to Winnipeg. Uh, apparently, Nashville has Soros on the clock. Uh, one of Hallmark and Swayman may be on the move. Bob may be on the move. You have the Vegas goaltenders. Um, you have John Gibson and Anaheim. Tristan Jarry is a free agent. So, a lot of moving pieces. And I'm sure Edmonton's like, God damn it, we still have Sue's contract on the books. <laughs> Poor Edmonton. They'll never get out of it. They'll never get a goaltender. It's the same as Toronto. Every year, they'll have a good year, and they get burned by goaltenders. Oh, God bless them. Well, but until then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
come sweeping down the plain. And the waving wheat can sure smell sweet when the wind comes right behind the rain. Oh, I hope every night my honey lamb and I sit alone and talk and watch a hawk making lazy circles in the sky. 